0: Snap Studios. Every once in a great while, even in the darkest hour, a light appears. You're listening to Spoot. Stay tuned. From KQED and PRX, you've crossed over to Spoot. Constantly beyond the point of broke, past broke. If I live in this house in Ann Arbor, Michigan with some fellas, we have a house dog, Bima. Now, Bima's a great dog, truly. Just sometimes he likes to hang out in front of our place. One day, some overzealous officer has to hand me a ticket for an unleashed dog. Really? Really, though? So as broke as I am, As absurd as this is, I pass the house collection plate, pay their ticket, and go on living my life. And one day, there's a note on the door that says, an officer stopped by, asked if I can come over to the police station half a block away. And forgetting my blackness, I go in to see if I can be of any assistance. ow. You're the one with the dog. That's me. And as I'm talking to the officer behind the desk, I don't notice. The two officers sneaking up behind me. I don't notice until they slam me on the desk. What the hell? They chuck handcuffs over my wrist. You want to resist? You want to resist? They slam me into their waiting police cruiser, drive through the middle of campus, and take me to the downtown Ann Arbor Jail. (laughs) (laughs) Pull me shackled into the station, lock me into a cell, laughing. It's Friday afternoon, 4 p.m. I'm dazed. No phone, no clue behind bars. Officer there, leering, picking his lunch from between his teeth with the toothpick. I remember to ask, "Uh, I need... I need to speak to a lawyer. I need my my phone call. I want to speak to a judge. <laughs> well, well, I suppose you do. Of course, court's out for the day. And what with Monday being a holiday and all, Tuesday likely awful busy. Now, it seems to me you're going to be sit right here for a spell. Might be a while. But I can't be here. I can't. Well, of course... If you find $100 in the next 15 minutes, cash, not credit. Big Gap to smile. Well, then, then you can go on your way. Otherwise, I'd settle in. $100 cash. If I had $100, which I don't, but if I had $100, I wouldn't carry it around with me. I do that thing you do. That thing you do anyway. I do it. I'm checking all my pockets, feeling stupid. Empty wallet. Two Trident gum wrappers, lint. And I dig deep into my pocket one last time. I feel something. Pull it out. And in my hand between my fingers are two crisp, brand new, $50 bills. stare at the cash. Officer asshole stares at the cash. We stare together from either side of the iron bars. I see the first disappointment, then anger, turning his grin upside down. But I'm smiling. I'm smiling at this money and at him. I don't know where these $50 bills have come from. I don't remember a circumstance where I would have come across a single $50 bill, much less two $50 bills? Go ahead, check your wallet. Check your purse. You could be as rich as mine as I bet you don't have a 50 either. See, there is magic left in this universe. My name's from Washington, and not all magic is bad. Spook starts now. If you've listened to this show before, you know our friend Ray Christian. He's got terrifying tales for days, and you're lucky. Because I know where he lives. Spooked.
1: I used to see myself as Dr. Doolittle. I loved animals so much. I mean, at one point, I probably had about uh, maybe 20 dogs, 40 cats, dozens of turtles and rabbits, maybe 20 or more pigeons. Me and animals had a special relationship that we could communicate with one another. Animals don't speak all the time uh, in an audible way, but the squint in their eyes, their head movements, the way their tails go back and forth. I could recognize some of those uh, social cues in animals quicker than I could recognize those in people. In the neighborhood, dead animals were very common. They'd get hit by cars, maybe they'd die from disease, or they'd kill each other. I started the pet cemetery with the kids in my neighborhood because I wanted animals to have the same kind of dignity respect and maybe be remembered just like people. The empty lot where the old house used to be had been cleared for about a year now and the grasses had started to grow a little chilly in the air and we go out into the field and take the sticks and start to Swing them around like swing blades back and forth until we cleared out a patch. At some point, somebody got the idea, maybe it was me, to uh, dig a hole and bury something. And the first dead animal that we all agreed that we should probably bury was a a dead pigeon that we'd found in the alley. The sun was starting to come up and the grasses were still kind of wet and damp from the dew. We put it in the ground and I picked up a couple of popsicle sticks and I stuck them together like it was a cross and I put it in the ground. We said some words, the only words we knew to say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, if the maggots don't get you, the worms must. And we pat the ground down. At some point, somebody had a dead goldfish, I think it was, and I believe the natural idea was, let's do the same thing for the goldfish that we had did for the bird, and then a roach, and a grasshopper. We would probably have one funeral a week. Maybe several weeks might pass, and it'd be nothing. I played the game of having the pet cemetery, but I also believed it, and I felt it. We never killed any animals to acquire them. We always found them dead. The unspoken understanding was it had to be something that we hadn't already buried. And we kind of ran out of our list of animals really fast that we could come in contact with. Dogs and cats, a lot easier to get. You would see dead ones in the streets and the alleys. It started slowing down right up at the point we got to rabbit that took a while to find a rabbit found a red dead rabbit at the park the dead squirrel was stiff as a board that took a couple of months to get but there was a sense of excitement about I found something different as the animals became larger the easier it was for me to believe it was more necessary to bury him. Before the other kids, the larger they got, the more it seemed like burying a human. And they didn't want to play anymore. There was another dynamic going on at the same time there was a kid missing in the neighborhood. What made that an issue was that other kids had came up missing in the city and uh, had been found dead. And it was being talked about regularly, all kind of rumors, all kind of suspicions. City leaders, black leaders, they had to tell people something to calm them down, something they could do. And one of those was, watch your kids. Make sure you watch your children. And now, almost everybody's parents were starting to tell them to stay closer to the house and didn't want them all playing by themselves together anywhere. I started to feel lonely that the group of kids was starting to fall off. It finally got down to just me and one other kid, and then it came down to just me. My mother knew I was burying animals, and she never really said anything to me about it until one day she got on the bus and she looked outside, and other people were pouring and saying, oh my God, is that a cemetery? At that point, um, each grave was probably about maybe two feet uh, long and maybe a foot wide. So they weren't like teeny miniatures. They were like big size. And no matter what size the uh, animal was, if it was a little mouse, I would have a mound that would be at least two feet long and uh cardboard headstone. Put 20 of those in there, and it looks like, uh, well, I, I thought I did a good job of making it look like just like what I wanted it to look like. When she came home, she told me that... Uh, It was scaring people, that thing looked real, too real. I knew she wanted me to get rid of it, but I don't think uh, she had the energy or the time to focus on that particular small little weirdness that was me anyway. I still maintained the cemetery, I, I still pulled up the weeds. I still tried to make sure the rows were neat. I replaced the crosses with these cardboard posters that used to be up on walls um, to promote shows and things like that. I would pull them down and I would tear them up into the shape of a, a tombstone. Then I would write parrot, dog, cat. I removed bottles and cans and pieces of trash, cigarette butts, out of it as much as I could but now I was doing it and I didn't have any reinforcement it's risky for me to be outside at the edge of darkness by myself with this kidnapper out there roaming the neighborhood but it's worth it to me to maintain the pet cemetery in old buildings and factories, church steeples. And I was the kind of kid that was always looking in the trees, looking on the ground for animals. One day I was walking through an alley and I saw a ball of fern tree. Not normal, that's not a cat. And I get closer. Then I realized it's a monkey. It's wet, and it's shaky, and it's all trembly. And here it is in a tree in Church Hill in my neighborhood. It doesn't really move, but I see its eyes blinking. I get a stick, I try to poke it, get it to move, it won't move. And I think about climbing the tree, but that monkey starts going crazy. Get the monkey. I thought that if me, nice me, Dr. Doolittle of the Black Ghetto was going to climb up in that tree, and that monkey was going to go, oh, it's you. And he was going to climb down like on TV and get on my shoulder, and I was going to take him home. A lot of folks would never have taken it for a pet, but I'm thinking it's so rare, and I love animals so much. That monkey was insane, and he gave me the message, I'll bite you apart if you touch me so i came back the next day i got a couple of apples and i brought them back and i thought maybe i would take a sheet i brought with me and put it over the monkey's head and grab it that way and hold it and take it home that if i could put it in a box or a cage myself i could calm it down of course the monkey's teeth looked way more vicious So I came back the third day, same results. I had the sheet, apples. No way, monkey wasn't doing anything. The next day, fourth day, I came back in there. Monkey was gone. No monkey in the tree, no monkey around the tree. Maybe somebody else got the monkey or the monkey got brave and jumped down, who knows? I lost my chance. Several weeks had passed after I didn't see the monkey anymore. And I'm walking through the alley and I see some bones and a piece of cardboard. That's not unusual in of itself, but I'm always curious enough to see what kind of animal might be under there. When I kick the piece of cardboard off the carcass, it's the monkey. I'm disappointed, but I have the realization that I have the dead monkey. Next to having a live monkey as a pet wouldn't say it was one of my dreams, but this is the rarest. I never have another opportunity to bury a monkey. This one was so exotic, so difficult to come by. So I took advantage of that, but I knew that I had to think about this a little more carefully. I knew I couldn't walk from there to the house with this decomposing dead monkey. There's no way I have to go find a cardboard box. I used a couple of sticks like I had learned before with the dogs uh, to try to prop it up. And maybe two sticks on one side, two sticks on the other, and roll it backwards in a tilt a little bit and then dump it into the box. Either said than done. Just like in the past, you know, I tilted it back, but the monkey was starting to fall apart, and it just reeked its liquidy substance on my arms. So I did get the monkey to the cemetery, and i and I dug the grave. I kept it in the box. I had to smash it in on the sides. It was really just too tall, too big. I put up the cardboard. Monkey. I was proud of that. In the many, many weeks that followed, large groups of us would kind of join each other, heading toward the school at the same time. All of us that walked And I remember a group of kids saying, wonder what happened to that baby. What are you talking about, that missing kid? The one in the alley, the body. What do you think happened to it? Somebody must have moved it. And I heard this in a conversation going to school and then I heard it again. Some other people said there was a body in the alley. Maybe it was that kid. There was a kid in the alley, there was a dead kid in the alley. Every time I would hear this conversation, every time I would hear people talk about it or even suggest it, it would make me feel compelled to say, oh no, it was the monkey. But I knew I couldn't say anything like that. I would draw too much attention. after I started thinking about it I kept going over and over in my mind little details little flashes of the head okay that looks like a kid's head but it's not because it's got furled, or maybe it was dirt and maybe those were pants and not just decomposed skin and Maybe I was looking at the wrong thing. I kept going over and over it as I had put it in a box. And the bones were starting to separate. I remember being confused and thinking, uh, yeah, that could be something. And I kept going over and over that in my mind. That small, small possibility that I might have made a mistake, and I didn't bury a monkey. I buried a kid. That bothered me for a very long time, hearing them talk about that. For years. Either I did a wonderful thing, or I made the mistake of my life. But I wasn't going to check. I was afraid to check. I didn't bury anything else in the pet cemetery again.
0: Thank you, Ray. Ray Christian, Dr. Ray Christian, thank you for sharing your story with the spook listeners. If you want to hear more from Ray Christian, be sure to check out his podcast, What's Ray Saying. So, What's Ray Saying? It's on podcast apps everywhere with a link on our luminary show page. The original score for that story was by Lauren Newsom. It was produced by Chris Hambrick. (laughs) To get inside the spooked underground lair, follow Spooked on Instagram at spookpod. And remember, you like your storytelling under the bright light of nature's glorious sunshine and i know that you do get the amazing stupendous and incredible snap judgment podcast of storytelling with the beat even though the world discarded it a long time ago spook was created by the team that follows the precepts of that book the secret from a while back the book that says you can manifest your own reality simply by believing in it unfortunately Mark Ristich, he refuses to play along. There's Anna Sussman, Eliza Smith, Chris Hambrick, Annie Nguyen, Lauren Newsom, Leon Morimoto, Renzo Gorio, Taylor Descott, Marissa Dodge, Greta Weber, Jacob Winnick, Aaliyah Yates, Zoe Frigno, Sonic Khan, Tiffany DeLiza, Ann Ford, and Fernando Hernandez. The spook theme song is by Pat Macidi Miller. My name is Glenn Washington. And I don't care. If the angel comes shrouded in white robes Holding holy water in one hand And a pecan pot in the other I just know this Never Ever Never, 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 ever, never, never. never Summon in the Dark of Night by KQED and PRS.